Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your truth. May your word come forth in such a way that it would change us, that Jesus would be glorified. We welcome your power and your presence and your truth, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you want a title, it's simple. You're not crazy, there is more. You're not crazy, there is more. Luke chapter 2, the baby Jesus, Yeshua, is going to be brought to the temple. It says in verse 22, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary, or Miriam, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. There must have been many days and even weeks or months or years where he questioned what he heard because it didn't come to pass where he wondered, did God really say that I would see the Messiah? Maybe it was just my own mind. Maybe I just got excited. Maybe I convinced myself. Because the days would go on and the years would go on, and there was no Messiah. And maybe you'd hear reports, oh, there's this powerful preacher here. Oh, there's this mighty man of God. Maybe you hear this report. Oh, there's a prophet, but it, it was never the one. When you have a promise that God's given you, especially a promise that has weight to it, a major promise, a life promise, you will go through much disappointment before it comes to pass. And you will often go through seasons where that promise dies because you conclude it's over, it cannot happen, it's too late. I was promised this, but the window has closed. It will never happen. So Simeon, Shimon in Hebrew, he has this promise. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So he's moving, he doesn't know why, but he's moved by the Spirit. And he goes in. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is extraordinary. The man's looking at an infant, a little baby in his parents' arms. And we know from the text that the, the parents were not well to do because they, they give the offering of poor people. He's looking at a little baby, but he sees, he knows, this is the promise. This is it. I, I'm done. I can go home. I don't need to see anything else. I've seen this reality. And, and he realizes right off the bat, this is your salvation. It's for all people, for the Jews, for the Gentiles. And the child's father and, and mother marveled at what was said about him. They, they knew the promises already. They knew he was born of a virgin, but still it's staggering to hear this from a stranger. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She would live with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, redemption of Jerusalem. Generations came and went waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Hundreds of years would go by and people died waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And to this day, you can pray with devout Jews in different parts of the world or in Jerusalem. And, and they're praying and they're pouring out their hearts sometimes with tears because they're still praying for the redemption of Jerusalem. Yeah. What, what made Simeon think he was actually going to see it come to pass? What gave Anna this heart to just be in the temple day and night. She's obviously waiting for something because when, the, when she talks about the child, she's, there's a promised child, there's someone they're waiting for. How many times must they have thought, you're crazy, you've lost your mind, you've lost touch with reality. It's never going to happen. Face it, this is our fate. This is our lot. We'll be in exile or we'll be under the Romans or... We won't be a free... This is just the reality. Or maybe sometime way out in the future it'll happen, but not here, not now. I came to faith in 1971. I'd been living in rebellion for two years, raised in a Jewish home, but not religious. So I was by mitzvah at 13, but that was more of a social event for me than a spiritual event. And then the whole rock scene and drugs, I got totally caught up with that. Started getting high at 14, was shooting heroin at 15. And I got radically saved at 16. And I got saved in a little Italian Pentecostal church. So all I knew was that the Bible talked about speaking in tongues, and we believed in speaking in tongues. The Bible talked about praying for the sick, we believed in praying for the sick. The Bible talked about angels and demons, and we believed that angels and demons existed. In other words, there it is in the Bible. We talk about it, we believe it, and we experience it. And I hear the stories. Because some of the folks, I mean, they were really old. They were like 40 and 50. <laughs> I mean, that's how the world looked to me then. It was one of the things that got my attention the first time I was there with these guys in their 60s that were so full of life and energy and enthusiasm. 
was amazed they were still breathing. <laughs> but they would tell me, the old timers would tell me about the old days, what they saw God do, and the healings, and the miracles. And I was radically saved. God touched my life. And I communed with God and met with him powerfully in private. That was awesome. And I experienced his joy. And I saw some very supernatural answers to prayer. And, and there were some dramatic healings. And, and, and I spoke in tongues, of course, and, and, and walked with the Lord. But you read the word and you think, well, there's got to be more. I mean, that's good. That's, that's wonderful. But if, if this happened, then what about the rest? I, I remember at one point I, I was determined. All right, Paul wrote, whoever speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. So I've, I've got to get the gift of interpretation because that's the next thing, and, I, and, I, and it's promised that I should have it. And I, I asked around in the church because it was a pretty small church. Maybe if everyone was there on a Sunday, maybe 100 people max. And, and normally if someone gave a message in tongues, the pastor interpreted it, and there was one of his brothers when he was in, sometimes he would interpret. So I asked one of the nieces, I said, how does your uncle, pastor's brother, said, how, how does he get the interpretation? And she said, he sees gold letters, and he just reads the interpretation. I wanted to see the gold letters. I wanted this. And I remember someone would speak in tongues, and everyone's quiet. Here's a message in tongues, and I close my eyes, and strange, because I never saw the gold letters. I remember I was a brand new believer. I'd been shooting heroin and shooting speed and using LSD. It used to be called Iron Man and Drug Bear because I was such a crazy drug user. So I was brand new. And, you know, we'd be worshiping and have lights, not as bright as this, but have lights. And I kind of look at the lights first and close my eyes. And I still couldn't see the gold letters. Just flashing lights. So I determined, okay, I've, I've got to break through. So I'm, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast until I get the gift of interpretation. And we had services, multiple services a week, and, and prayer meetings and things. So I was just going to, I figured just one of these services, someone will deliver a message in tongues, and I'll get the interpretation. But somewhere around the second day of the fast, I realized I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I remember calling the pastor to get counsel, and he was away during the day. And, and his wife said, hey, listen, Mike, it's better that you live, not die. Because I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it. So right before... Showed up at some friend's house, and we're going to go to prayer meeting that night. And they're all praying, because in those days, I'm telling everybody, I'm going to fast. I'm going to tell everybody about my spirituality. So there, there some of the sisters there, they're, they're all praying for me. We all got saved around the same time. And uh, on the way to their house, I stopped and got a burger. <laughs> Broke the fast. And I, I came over to their house, and one of them said, Mike, we've been praying tonight. We believe you're going to get the gift. Because you've been fasting. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Then the other says, the other sister, she said, Mike, your, your eyes are, are glowing. Did you see an angel? I said, no, I, I had a burger. <laughs> but as the years went on, and, and I'm convinced, I mean, the word's clear, I'm convinced these things are for today. As the years go on, I'm not, I'm not seeing the things I'm expecting to see. And it seems the people who are really hurt or really sick or really crippled, they're, they're not being healed. And, and, and I'm hearing the stories about the old days. And I, I didn't doubt what the people were telling me initially. 
And, you know, okay, well, you saw it. You were an eyewitness. You saw those things. Because they're saying, no, it's not happening now, but it did happen. Okay? And, and then I'd hear reports about what God's doing around the world. Now, this is back in the early 70s, so this is way before the world was as small as it is. So if there are miracles happening in India or Africa or China, you're just hearing about it. And maybe years later, before actually seeing evidence, there's a book about it or something like that. It's not like someone's just saying, hey, look, just check it. It's just happened. And you're watching it on a cell phone around the world. So I'm hearing stories about what's happening all over there and all over there. And hearing stories about what happened in the past. And, and then people tell me, brother, you just stay faithful and you're going to see this in the future. And it got to a breaking point because I thought, why is it always in the past or in the future or somewhere else? How about here and how about now? Instead of deepening me, though, in my resolve to press in after God, it may be questioned. Maybe what I'm believing is not real. I know Jesus is real and the Word is real, but maybe this Pentecostal stuff is wrong because now I'm, I'm in college and now I'm in grad school. Now I'm, I'm, I'm listening to other people and I'm, I'm looking at other commentaries and theologians and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, maybe that's it. The reason I'm not seeing it is because it's, it's not really there. And I, as I continue to do my, my studies and my doctoral work, I, I got to a point, I was now in another church, I got to a point where I was actively trying to disprove and say, okay, it's not for today. I'm going to buy all these books by Christians against the gifts of the Spirit for today, against healing for today, against miracles for today. And the more I read the books, the more I was convinced that they were wrong because the word was too clear. I couldn't get away from it. And then folks close to me really saw that in the midst of all my studies, it doesn't happen to everybody, thankfully, but it happened to me. I, I just got into theological pride, and I, I started to get more intellectual and spiritual. And I, I read the Bible just to learn the languages more than really to, to hear from God. I really left my first love. And, and, I, I, and I was a fraction of who I had been in those early days of six or seven hours alone with God in prayer and the Word and seeking His face earnestly. And I loved God. I was a serious believer. But that passion, that fire was gone. or greatly lessened. And God began to work in my heart and draw me back. God began to do something inside of me. And, and all through 1982, I, I, I laid down the, the dissertation I was working on. In fact, if I tell you the title, the whole, the whole congregation will groan when I tell you I never finished it. When you realize I never finished it, and you could have had the privilege of reading it, you'll think, oh, should, should I say it? It was on abbreviated verbal idioms in the Hebrew Bible, a comparative philological approach. <laughs> it would have been a bestseller. It would have been one of these books that every, have you read the, the abbreviated idioms book? So I quit writing my dissertation. I laid everything down. And, and, and God really began to deal with me. And, and, and I, as I pressed in, he gave me a promise of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he was going to bring to that church, which was not Pentecostal. Barely believed in the baptism of the Spirit for today or speaking in tongues and the gifts. Barely accepted these things. No one in 10 years had been baptized in the Spirit in any dramatic way or filled in a tangible way you could see it. Although we were rich in good works and serving the poor and had refugees living in our home, we were exemplary in many ways, but lacking in power. 
God put it in my heart. I was an elder in the church that I was going to preach a message and the spirit was going to fall. And sure enough, it happened. And we had three months of six days, three months, six days of outpouring. I mean the Holy Spirit being poured out. I, I, I mean lives dramatically changed. I, I mean people weeping in repentance. Scores of people powerfully touched. It used to be once a month we'd have a Sunday night prayer meeting and it was miserably boring. All of us in leadership would look for excuses to, to forget that it was that night and not show up and the pastor would often call us to remind us. Prayer meetings like, oh, trying to forget. Miserable, boring. Spirit fell and we had to open this church every Sunday night. We prayed three hours or more just crying out, meeting God. People were saved at the prayer meeting, healed at the prayer meeting, delivered at the prayer meeting. God moving. My life completely transformed. That's when I laid everything down and I was writing and, and sought the Lord earnestly. And, and in the midst of this, after the outpouring ended, after the pastor and some of the leaders stood against what the Holy Spirit was doing, many years later the pastor came to me with tears saying, Mike, the next time God moves, I don't want to miss it. God moved us on. We tried to leave in a, in a righteous way so as not to be contentious. Got excommunicated for leaving. You ever had that happen? <laughs> so my friends won't even talk to me. We're going to another church. I'm on my face. I'm travailing. I'm groaning in prayer. I'm experiencing things I've never experienced in my life before. Depth of intercession. An agony of heart and prayer that I've never known. And the Spirit says to me, it's in April of 1983, you'll be in a revival that touches the entire world. And the first thoughts in my mind, you're, cra you're crazy, man. You lost it. You're you're, you, you are now deceived. The people that excommunicated you are right. You're dangerous. But the more I prayed and the more I spent time with God, the more that promise would rise up in me. And the surer I would get. And then I began to see God move in amazing ways and open doors and call me into aspects of ministry and work. Ended up... Writing my dissertation, the book that Pastor Scott mentioned, Israel's Divine Healer, was, was based on my dissertation. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on just on one Hebrew word for healing. Because I was struggling because the people that held the right theology about healing saw nobody healed. People like me, we had the right theology and saw nobody healed. And the people with healing ministries had bad theology. I thought, How, something's wrong here. Maybe my theology is wrong. So I just studied and had all these questions and how to go to God and get insight. And then the years would go on and I'd see God move and I'd see further confirmation. He's going to keep his promise. I'm going to be part of that revival. I'm going to be used by God in this. Never went away. But then the years kept going on. And at a certain point, you begin to question, did I ever really hear God? There's an amazing verse in Psalms, in Psalm 105. It talks about Joseph. We know the story of Joseph. As a 17-year-old kid, he's telling his brothers how he's got these dreams from God, how he's going to be over all of them, and they're all going to bow down before him. Even his mother and father are going to bow down to him. All these exalted dreams, which, of course, he foolishly shares with his brothers. And because Joseph, Jacob, excuse me, Joseph's dad is... Is, is so favorable towards him. The other brothers are envious because Joseph is dad's favorite born later in life. 
that they were going to kill him and then they decided they'll just sell him into slavery. We'll never see him again. And that's it. He's sold off into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And then because of his righteousness and obedience, he ends up suffering more. He ends up in a prison. He's in a dungeon. That's it. It's over. End of story. Nobody comes out of that dungeon or nobody comes out the same or nobody comes out going to be more than a slave or whatever. You went in as a slave. You're not going to come out as a prince. Come on. It's over. And it says in Psalm 105 that, that God sent him into Egypt. Even though the, the brothers did evil, God ultimately had a plan to send him to Egypt. And, and he's in shackles. He's got a yoke on his neck. I mean, he's suffering. And it says, until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Ooh! Till what the Lord foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. That's a common translation, the second half of that verse, but that's not the right translation in my view, in the view of many. Till what he foretold came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That's the way to read it. Wow! Joseph, what about those promises? Here he is, a prisoner, chained. Joseph, I thought you were going to be the big man. Joseph, I thought all your brothers were going to be bowing down to you. They're feasting with their families. They're enjoying life while you're rotting here in prison. So what happens when you go through this process? And remember, he's sold into slavery at 17. He doesn't have his miraculous deliverance where he's raised up overnight as Pharaoh's right-hand man. Story the likes of which had never happened before. It's 13 years. He's 30 years old when he's raised up. So think of that from 17 to 30. That, that's your, your whole formative early adult life. In a dungeon. In the end. Told what he foretold came to pass. The word of the Lord, the, the very promise that gave, God gave him is the thing that tested him. And if you have a promise from God, that promise will test you. And you will go through times where you wonder, did I really hear God? I'm talking about major things. I'm talking about important things. I'm talking about life words. The process I've seen over and again in my own life and that others relate to. I mean, you wonder, your first thing is, I didn't hear God. I didn't hear God. I made it up. Some spiritual hallucination, just dreaming, just wanted to see this or wanted to believe it. But the problem is, you think, wait a second, but I know he spoke that. I, I, I mean, he confirmed it to me so many times in prayer. Or maybe others confirmed it to you prophetically, so you can't shake it. Because deep down, it's like, I, I, know, I know he spoke it. Surely as I know God is God, I, I know he spoke that. So you think, well, he did speak it, but you exaggerate it. Come on, you're prone to exaggeration. He showed you this, and it, it snowballed in your mind, and it became something very different. I've, I've had that happen, praying about something and meditating on it. Next thing, my mind starts racing. You know, I've often shared that years back when I would go into hospitals more to pray for the sick, I found no fault of the hospital because they're trying to help and, and get people healthy. But there's something about it that felt intimidating the faith. Like, pray all you want. It's not going to do anything. We've got the medical science. I'm not saying they were doing it. It's just how I'd feel. So sometimes before, before I go into a hospital to pray for someone, 
someone terminal, terminally ill or a friend said, hey, could you go pray for someone? They're going to die. Could you share the gospel with them? So before I go in there, I'd really pray and just in my mind say, okay, Lord, these are your promises. And, Lord, and just kind of picture in my mind, Lord, I'm going to go in there and pray, and, Lord, your word is true and holding on to your promises. And, and, and then in my mind, I, I, there's somebody else in the room. I prayed for the person I was going for, and they're, they're immediately healed. This is all in my mind. But there's somebody else in the room, and they, I pray for them, and they're healed. And next thing, my mind starts racing. And I remember one time that before I caught my mind, I was walking down the hallways with my hands raised, walking down the corridors, and everyone in every room is being healed. It's like, okay, I think your imagination just went running a little. So you go through that. Okay, maybe God did speak to me, but I exaggerated. He didn't really say this. He just... He didn't tell me I was going to have a big family. He told me I would meet someone with a big family. And he starts to rationalize. But then you, you think, no, I know when he spoke it. And the, the reality of it, and it's still with me. It's not an exaggeration. So you go through another cycle. It was the Lord. He did speak it. You didn't exaggerate it. But remember when you sinned? Ah, oh, ah, oh, remember when you, you remember that? So you crossed that, you did it. Oh, that, that's it. You just, you lost it. He was going to do it. He planned to do it. He wanted to do it. But you blew it. That's it. Remember those thoughts that you went too far up. That you were up. That's it. You blew it. Yeah, you repented. You're forgiven. But you're now disqualified. Well, maybe nothing that bad ever happened. Maybe you didn't cross a line in a serious way and think, I, I can't think of anything that would get me disqualified. Ah! God did speak it. You didn't exaggerate. You weren't disqualified, but you didn't pray enough. You were supposed to pray and fast more. God gave you the opportunity, and you didn't go after it, so he went on to somebody else. You go through the cycle, and then you think, okay, well, forget, I'll, just, I'll go on while I live my normal life, or maybe with Joseph, I'll just try to have the best life I can here as a prison or whatever, but then the thing rises up in you again, and the promise and the, and, and the stirring and all you can do is, is you just go after God. What else can you do? You can't make it happen. The only outlet you have is to go to God and say, you promised to pull out your journal entry and say, Lord, I, you were there. You know this moment. You know how sacred it was. Or these times this was confirmed. Or when your word jumped off the page, you, you were there. Lord, bring it to pass. And then you get stripped of your desire or your motivation. Or your Lord, it's not about me. It's not about ego. It's, Lord, it's your promise. As we were raising our daughters, I realized early on the importance of keeping my word. And obviously, if they can't trust their earthly father, it's going to be a lot harder for them to trust their heavenly father. And I realized even my upbringing versus Nancy's where my mom and dad, I could almost do no wrong in their eyes. I mean, when I was in rebellion, they knew I was messed up. But otherwise, always affirming and always loving and always, you know, and raised in a certain environment versus Nancy where her mom was married four times and just nobody she could really relate to as a father. So she had to learn to know God in ways differently than I did because of background. So I realized, okay, if I say something, if I give my word, I, I got to keep it. Not just to be a good dad, but to be a good example, be a good example of the Heavenly Father. And we lived in Maryland, probably the late 80s, and 
one day I, I said to the girls, we're having dinner, and I said, hey, how about tomorrow? After dinner, we all go get some ice cream. Oh, Dad, let's get ice cream. We're going to get ice cream. They were all excited and psyched about it. And Nancy's fine. Let's do it. Well, the next day came, and, and I, was, I was busier than I expected. My schedule went later. I had something else going on that night. I was not going to have that much time. So I said, hey, girls, I'm going to be kind of rushed today. How about we have ice cream tomorrow instead? Suddenly, instantly. These crocodile tears come pouring down their little cheeks. But Daddy, you promised! And I'm thinking, I, I kind of made a casual statement the night before. He says, hey, why don't we go? Did I say, I swear on my mother's grave, cross my heart? I mean, did I, I, did I say, as, as surely as I'm your father, I promise you that come hell or high water, we will get ice cream. I just made a passing comment. Hey, how about we get a... Oh, but to them it was a promise. Daddy, you promised. Now, in those days, I used to eat ice cream. I don't now, but I, I used to. So I, I was more than happy to go get the ice cream. But, but I knew, I said, I, I got to do this. Because if they can't trust when Daddy promised, I'm not going to trust the Heavenly Father as easily. Now, I learned my lesson. I was in my study one day, and the girls came in. Hey, Daddy, can we get McDonald's today? Because I had learned my lesson, I looked at them and said, maybe. <laughs> and they then turned and began to have a conversation in my presence. He said maybe. He didn't say definitely. He didn't promise. But when he says maybe, it's going to happen. We're going to McDonald's. <laughs> Sunk either way. But I thought, that's good. I, I, I like that. I like to expect good things from Dad. God loves it when we do the same thing with him. But God, you promised. And so you get tested by the thing. Maybe a little of you is in it. Maybe there's ambition or maybe there are mixed motives. But when you get tested and tried and the years go on, it's like, God, it's your promise. You're, you're the one that said it. It's your reputation. When we were going to have our first daughter, first child, Nancy said, I want to have a home birth. That was very uncommon back then. And where we lived on Long Island, it was almost impossible to find people willing to do it or midwives. She said, hospitals are for sick people. I'm not sick. I want to have the baby at home. So I'm just the husband. I'm just going along with the ride here. It's like, hey, whatever you want, that's, that's fine. So we, we find a midwife in Brooklyn, so New York City. We have to meet with her to be interviewed to make sure that we're the real deal. And then they will refer us secretly to a midwife on Long Island. Because that, that, that's how underground the thing was at that time. It wasn't illegal, but it was very much underground. So we kind of passed the test. Brooklyn now meet with the midwife on Long Island. And she says, now here's the deal. I could tie that in somehow dramatically with the message, but <laughs> just put it back up here. If it happens again, there's so much power up here, even the water is getting slain by the Spirit. <laughs> did, anyone, did I touch it? Did I knock it? No, it just happened. <laughs> At a certain point, some of my Pentecostal skepticism was, I don't want to see a bottle of water slain by the Spirit. I want to see a sick person healed. 
But for those for whom that's a sign of one, Lord, if you really with Dr. Brown, cause the water to fall over. Well, it happened. You got your miracle. Now you know. So the midwife, she says, listen, here's the deal. For safety purposes, if you go into labor more than three weeks early or more than three weeks late, then we have to bring you to a hospital. And we have a doctor that works with me. We have an arrangement. So he will be ready. There's a referring hospital not far from you. So Nancy, first child, of course. Moms, you know the weight of that. And she's leaning on me to be in faith. And she said, is everything going to be all right? I said, I'm sure everything's going to be all right. I mean, she has her own faith, but at this time just needed to lean on me. And, and as we're getting closer, it's like, okay, it's, it's going to go into labor early. Just whew, We get past three weeks early. All good. All good. I'm in college. I've got my last set of college finals going on and, and pressure, you know, and, and studying all of this and other things we're doing. And, and she said, are we going to meet the deadline? And I pray and I tell her, I know everything's going to be all right. I don't know about the deadline. And she said, well, you're not delivering the baby at all, that's for sure. I said, I don't know. I just... So I determined, okay, i got to break through. i got to hear God. So I, I'm going to fast. Another mighty fast. <laughs> I, I remember I didn't even make it to lunchtime. The headache was so oppressive. I don't normally have breakfast, so I didn't have anything in those days. And lunch, you know, I was so oppressed with the thought of fasting, I couldn't even make it to lunch. Mighty man of God, faithful husband, strong man to lean on. Didn't even make it to lunch. Honey, is everything going to be all right? Yeah, I know everything's going to be all right with the baby. I just I know about the deadline. I couldn't reconcile it. But I felt sure everything was going to be fine. So then a friend comes over one night. He and his wife hang out, and then he and I are going to pray. We'll, we'll pray through the night. I, I fall asleep within minutes. So much for that one. Now, this goes past her due date, nothing. Weekend, nothing. Week and a half in. But I finished my last file. I thought, that's it. Because it was days before cell phones. So I finished taking the test, run to a pay phone. Hey, honey, how's everything going? Everything's good. It's like, okay, good, good. Rush home, take long walks, drive on bumpy roads. I mean, everything was no baby, no baby. Midwife comes to check her out. She realizes, whoa, you're two and a half weeks late. You have to go see the doctor. So we go see the doctor, and he looks at everything. He said, okay, you got two days. If you're not in labor by Friday, then you have to go to the hospital. Because we're at this point, actually, we passed right around three weeks now. So it's Thursday night, and Friday, we're going to have to go into the hospital. So I get on my knees to pray. And, and first thing, the neighbors downstairs were playing loud music. I was agitated, so I thought, okay, if, if I don't forgive them because i got a bad attitude, there's no way I'm going to get a miracle. So Lord, forgive me for having a bad attitude. Clear my heart. Do that. And then I go to a favorite passage of Scripture. You've heard it preached on here, Luke 11. And, and Jesus talking about importunity and boldness and, and then saying if what man is there of you if, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. 
If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? And at that moment, supernatural faith came alive. I, I knew that I was going to stay on my knees all night, but I knew that I, knew, I was 100% sure that we had the answer. It, it, I, I remember, but I remember saying, God, you knew on this night, you knew it, that I would be here on my knees taking these words and believing every word you said. You knew it. You knew it would happen, and you put it in the Bible. You have to, you have to do it because you promised. I, I, it was overwhelming. And about a half hour later, Nancy comes walking out to tell me she's been in labor for a few minutes and water's broken and all of that. And, and praise the Lord, 23 hours later, she delivered. So it's still, still a long labor. And I remember in the midst of it, home birth, natural childbirth, well into it. I remember she came out the bedroom in our little apartment and said to me, do something. It's like I've quoted every verse I know, but I also remember the ones that say howl like a woman in labor. It's like it's hard for me to get away from those verses. But thank God all was well in the end. We have to go to God, friends. Where, where we talk to him in real life and, and where we appeal to him for the sake of the promises. Because hear me, if, if, if God fulfilled every promise that he's given to everyone in this room, now some of you say, I, I don't have like a life promise or a key word that God gave me or a thing I'm holding to, but, but you, you see what's in the word and there are things you contend for and there are things you say, well, there, there's got to be more. If, if we had those purposes, just this is room for this little group of people here. If all the promises that God gave to us came to pass, it would probably shake the whole nation and beyond. I mean, there's, there's that much in the potential and the promise and the, the things that God has spoken. And to this day, I'm 66. And yes, as promised, I got to serve as a leader in a revival that touched the world. People came from over 130 nations to Brownsville and were touched. And as we travel around the world, to this day, people come up to me and say, you have to hear what happened to me in that revival. And then those that were touched went out and touched others, and then those that were saved and transformed that went through our school that are on the mission field, and a whole missions movement that continues to grow and thrive. And some of the most powerful evangelists and preachers on the planet today were, were people that were touched in that revival and went through our school and are out. It's what God promised me. And yet there are other things and more things that he spoke that I know he spoke, as surely as I'm standing here, I know he spoke them to me, I can't shake it. And yet they haven't yet come to pass. And even though I feel incredibly young and energetic at 66, I feel far better now than I did seven, eight years ago after changing my lifestyle. And, and even though by God's grace I could easily see ministering for decades ahead, the thing eats away inside of me in prayer. God, you there are certain things I'm supposed to see, and in case you haven't noticed, I'm not getting younger. I mean, what if, what if you're a lady, and you were sure that God promised you that you're going to be a mother of many children, and you're still single? You've been happy to get married. There's nothing wrong with you, but somehow it's, it's never worked out. And you're thinking, how's this going to happen by the time I get married? How many kids can I? And, and it messes with your head. We all have these time limits or these restrictions or these things. It's like, how could it happen? The same way things messed with me when I was not even, 
well, maybe yeah, not even 30 years old, and what about the promise, and it's not going to happen, and the enemy's there telling me it's too late. That's the same thing that messes with your mind decades later. And as I've seen God come through, as I've seen him do some of the other things he's promised me that seemed impossible and outlandish, but I've seen it happen, when the answer comes, I say to myself, next time I will never doubt. Next time, I will never go through this whole thought process. Well, maybe it really wasn't the Lord, or maybe you sinned, or you know, all those things I talked about. And yet, when it actually happens and the years go on, the questions come up again. I was at a recent prayer retreat, and I was, I was bothered, I was deeply bothered by some things that were going on. You know, we're, we're active on social media, and, and Facebook in particular, we reached a lot of people. Before Facebook started shifting things years ago, one, one week, just through our posts reaching others, reaching others, we, we reached 50 million people. And then it got, it got cut down and they changed their algorithms, but still, I mean, we're, we're reaching 10 million people, 20, you know, just lots of people. And then they kept shifting things, and then after January 6th and the storming of the Capitol and everything that happened, then if you, if you post to certain websites, because I... I I preach the gospel, but I talk about politics and culture and do all that and, and have strong conservative viewpoints, so things just get stopped. You post it, and it doesn't go anywhere. You never know I posted it because it stops right there. And I'm talking about articles that I would get shared tens of thousands of times, or at the very least a few thousand times. Now it can be a few dozen times. You see, there are no comments like, well, then what happened? Now, I'm not relying on Facebook. I'm not relying on social media. I rely on God. All the masters of the universe that they're called and the big tech giants and all that, they're just like little specks. The President of the United States. The United States, the world, just like a little speck in God's sight. But I'm just telling you candidly, I was bothered because I, I'm, I'm writing, I'm prayer. I want to reach people. I'm putting out messages to read. I want to reach you. You don't even know I'm speaking them. So, of course, it was exaggerated, but I was, I was bothered. So I was going away for a weekend prayer retreat, and as I was seeking the Lord and pouring my heart out to him, one of the first things he said to me is, where is your faith? Reminding me, like, did I do this? Yes. Did I do this? <laughs> Have I done the other things I promised? Well, then why don't you just take hold of this? Well, I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to, <laughs> that's what we go through. I don't want to just be dreaming. I want to be a realist. I'm here to tell you that God wants you to dream your dreams. I don't mean, oh, I have a dream of being famous and a superstar and the whole world knowing my name. I don't mean carnal dreams. I mean the God dreams. When you see yourself ministering to people, you, you see yourself raising certain kids, or you, you see your prayers answered, or you, you see yourself in a certain country being used in a certain way, you see writing a book that shakes a city, I mean, you see these things and you can't shake them. Or you write a song that the whole world starts singing and lives are changed. God wants us to, to take hold of and say, God, you promised, and to contend I don't think that Simeon was passive. I can't prove it, but the fact is that the temple courts, if, if I'm understanding a man of God, a man of God with a promise is burning. A woman of God with a promise is burning. It would be the same with Anna. Why is she at the temple fasting? Well, she's fasting and praying for the redemption of Israel. She's fasting and praying for the Messiah. She's fasting and praying for God to have mercy on her land. 
You can't just sit passively. It's like your child is in ICU. You don't just go out and party. Your heart's breaking. You're there. If you're in another part of the world, you get some report. That's all that's on your mind day and night. God wants us to take the promises and be aggressive with them. God wants us to take the promises here. Just, just what's written in the Bible. Every other thing I'm telling you can be subjective. has to be tested. But this word tests us. We don't test this. What about what's written here? What, what about the promises? What about the things that God said would be normative? John Wimber, some years back, was mightily used by God to bring a gospel of signs and wonders into many churches and denominations that didn't believe in these things for today. Many non-Pentecostal denominations and churches around America and the world. But when you hear his own testimony, he was, he was manager for the singing group, the Righteous Brothers. He got saved in a Bible study. So he was not in church circles. He didn't have church background. He's not in church circles. He gets saved in a Bible study. He's reading the Bible, reading the Bible, in this Bible study, and a friend invites him, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday morning? I'd be cool. He hasn't been to church. He's a believer. So he meets the pastor before the service, and service starts, and the pastor gets up, says, let us pray. And Wimber turns to the guy next to me and says, what happened to his voice? <laughs> he's never been around. Hi, I'm Pastor Scott. Nice to meet you. Let us pray. And he's like, what? what happened to the guy's voice? That was the first surprise. Like, what's this church stuff? And then the singing, he enjoyed the singing, enjoyed the message, and then the service ended, and he thought, we're going now? And he said to his friend, he said, when do we do it? The friend said, do what? He said, well, you know what Jesus did. He sent out, divided the disciples, sent them out to heal the sick and drive out demons and raise the dead. When do we go do that? That's what he said. You go to church, you go do that. And the guy said to him, we don't do it, we just talk about it. <laughs> and... and that's the reality in many of our lives. We talk, we talk a good fight. We talk about all we believe. We, we talk about all these things, but truth be told, we don't see much of it. And we never will unless we press in. And that's the whole issue of revival. That, that you look at the word and you say, if, if that's supposed to be normal, then something's wrong here. You know, when folks would introduce me in the past as the world's foremost Messianic Jewish apologist, I'd say, yeah, number one among one. We, we, didn't, we didn't have a bunch of us. And I would tell them, it's, I said, it's like playing center on the pygmy basketball team. You don't have to be that tall. Well, if you grow up among pygmies, you know, maybe someone five feet tall, he's tall. Wow, she's really tall. Or however, however, whatever their height is. So amazing packages and little people. But if that's what you grow up, that's the norm. And then suddenly you, you, know, you meet some NBA players. It's like, what planet did I get put on? So we often set the norm based on what we experience. We're Pentecostal church. We're charismatic. We're a Holy Spirit. We're a full gospel. We're... And the obvious question is, well, so you do all this? You guys do this stuff? It's like, some. <laughs> we certainly preach about it. It's stirred up about it. You read this and you say, there's got to be more. 
And God loves it when we do that. He doesn't want us to have puny expectations. He doesn't want us to think, this is it. This is everything. I I mean, picture you've never flown before. And and, and you go to the airport, and someone says to you, you want to see, you want to know what an airport is all about. You want to know the meaning of airport. You've heard about famous airports around the world. This is, this is the airport, the Lafayette Airport. <laughs> and that's it. You fly in there one time into another little airport, and that's, that's all you do on a little plane. You think, that's, oh, it's a big plane. That's a little plane. It's a little airport. Same with some of our experience. It's a little experience that reflects a little God, not a big God. He loves it when we know there must be more. I mean, picture you come home with a present for one of your kids, and, and it's, the, it's the silly present, not the real one. And you say, I know you've been waiting for your birthday. You've been hoping to get this for years, and here it is. It's like, Daddy, that's not it. Well, it's good. It's being pitiful if your kid fell to the ground crying. That's the most wonderful thing anyone's ever done for you. It's like, no, it's a prank. It's just a prank. This is what creates an atmosphere for God to move, hunger. And as I come to a close, the the whole subject of revival is is there must be more. Uh, You read scripture, and, and obviously we don't all walk on water like Jesus did. We don't all turn water into wine like Jesus did. If we die, we're going to die until Jesus returns. We're not going to rise from the dead. We understand that. There's the uniqueness of Jesus and the miracles around him, but there's so many things where he indicated that the same spirit that would be on him be in the church. And and the works that that he did, we do also, because he goes to the Father. I'm sure you've heard teaching for that as your pastor focused so much of his doctoral work on those chapters. John 14, it's like it's, it's there, it's a promise. There's supposed to be more. And then you read church history. You hear about outpouring here and outpouring there. I look at my own life, the outpouring in that church in 82, 83, and being part of Brownsville, 96 to 2000. I'm an eyewitness. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings, maybe thousands, of seeing God move, seeing lives changed, hearing the remarkable, almost mind-boggling, impossible testimonies. One after another after another. I'm an eyewitness. And I can tell you the fruit of some of those testimonies 20 plus years later. And look at the state of America today. In my lifetime, we've never been more divided. We've never been more confused. We've never had a more superficial gospel. We've never been in more crisis. I don't care where your politics are leaning this and that. I'm just telling you, we're a nation in crisis. It's reality. And there is no political or social solution. There's got to be a gospel solution. We've gone beyond natural healing. There has to be supernatural healing. And that can only come with repentance. And if we just start to think of the sins of the nation, it just becomes overwhelming. But see, the good news is God's looking for places to move. The good news is God's looking for people to use. There's a wonderful verse in, in 
Second Chronicles 16, it's in the midst of a rebuke to a king who had once earnestly sought the Lord, but was now leaning on the arm of flesh. And, and it says in Hebrew that the, the eyes of the Lord, they go back and forth, Meshot to Tot, back and forth. Second Chronicles 16.9, Ki Adonai, for the Lord, and now of Meshot to Tot, his eyes go back and forth through all the land, back and forth through all the building. That he may stand in strong support of those who are holy his. He's looking for people to use. He's looking for people to back. He's looking for people to fill. And because it's ultimately his name and reputation that are at stake, he wants to move. Aside from his love for you, aside from his compassion for you, aside from his deep involvement in your life and everything that Jesus did to bring us to himself, aside from all that, his honor, his glory is at stake. He's mocked before the world. His word is mocked. The name of Jesus is trivialized. Just for the sake of his glory, the very opening of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. These, these are things that appeal to our Father. So here's what I felt in my spirit. I felt that, that tonight is a night of preparation for tomorrow in particular. We'll see what happens, those that are part of this church Sunday morning. But I, I felt in my spirit that tonight's the preparation where we cry out to God to prepare the way for God to move tomorrow. And I'm not going to tell you the same thing tomorrow night. This is not set up to get you to come back because I won't be there the next night kind of look at it like we're digging trenches to make room for the water, to, the rain to be poured out. And, and, and kind of look at it like God saying, okay, who's, who's serious here? Who's hungry? Doesn't matter how many times you messed up before. He's just saying right now, who's serious? That's the power of the blood of Jesus. He washes us clean. He says, okay, let's start here. Let's start here. So I want you to stand to your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If there's a promise, something burning in your heart, something where as I've been preaching, the Lord's been saying, there's more. There's more. Either the truth of his word that you can't get away from, or a crisis in the midst of your family, and, and you, you know there's got to be a breakthrough. Or just some of these promises, like God spoke things to me. Many of the things he spoke to me have come to pass. Some of the biggest other ones haven't yet. And I, I cannot leave this world without seeing them come to pass. So if that's you, I'm going to pray. And then just, we're just going to cry out to God at this altar for a little while. All right? Father, in the name of Jesus, for your name's sake, for the glory of your son Jesus, for the good of your people, for the sake of a dying nation, I'm asking you to come and fulfill your promises. I'm asking you to do things we've never seen before. I'm asking you to bring us to places we've never been before. I'm asking you to glorify your name and pour out your spirit in ways we've never seen. More of the same will not do, Father. We know there must be more. Manifest yourself in our midst. Take us deeper. Visit us this weekend in such a way that we can point back to these days when Jesus came and touched us. In his name, amen.